Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the word. God bless you. This morning is going to be fun. Um, it's going to be fun because overcoming is fun. It's going to be fun because breakthrough is fun. It's going to be fun because I'm going to say some silly things and you hopefully are going to find them funny and you're going to laugh. But I'm also going to say some things that are a little more serious and they kind of sink into your heart. Um, but it doesn't really matter at all what I say. What matters is what is God saying to you today? Thank you. What is God saying to you today? And are you going to listen and respond? So um, go ahead and give someone a high five. Grab your seats. Maybe give someone else another high five. That wasn't loud enough. I'm getting instruction here on where exactly I'm supposed to hold this microphone. Am I doing good? All right. Okay. All right. So, like I said, it's going to be fun this morning. I, I, I know I already said that, but I wanted to um, set some expectations of what we're going to get into today. Um, like I said, breakthrough is fun. Overcoming is fun. Uh, discovering and walking in your purpose is fun. But most importantly today, dad jokes are fun. They are. Father Day's, Father's Day is coming up. If you're a dad, especially if you're new to this, um, take some notes. You're going to learn some key material here that your kids are going to love. Like when they say, I'm thirsty. Hi, thirsty. I'm dad. That's exactly what you say. Thank you, James. Someone was paying attention. All right. Before um, I get started anymore, I wanted to um, kind of set uh, what my title is. And, and it, it, if you haven't already figured it out, it, it's going to be something corny because that's usually what happens. But today my title is All Joking Aside. Because I'm going to tell some jokes, but there's some truth behind those. So don't want to like you know, spill the beans here, but, you know, get ready for that. Um, so I want to honor some really important people. I wanted to first honor Pastors Jurgen and Leanne. Um, I got a text message. Yes. <laughs> clap for them. They're awesome. Anytime you hear their name, you should clap. Um, I got a text from my cousin who lives in Boise um, this morning that some guy from our church is preaching at her church today. I said, oh, who is it? Some guy, Jurgen. Oh, you got the big wig. Awesome. It's going to be great. You're going to laugh. You might get offended, but it's going to be good. So she said he was very entertaining. So I don't know what that means, but it was good. Um, I also want to thank um, Pastors Michael and Lisa. Um, you guys are awesome. There's 200 people in here that agree with me. Um, you know, I mentioned in the first service that um, I've always, you know, learned to respect whoever my pastors were, um, you know, growing up as a child, uh, when I moved away, and, you know, I always had respect for my pastors, but it wasn't until I came here that I really learned how to love and appreciate my pastors. So we love you. Kelly and I both love you. Our family loves you. Everyone around you loves you. So thank you for all you do. And... Um, I also want to honor my parents who, every time they find out I'm going to be up here, they end up right there somehow. They, they made the trip down from Fallbrook. It's a little too far for them to come on the regular, but I'm glad they show up when they do. My dad comes to emerge with me. Um, 
they are in about six months going to be celebrating their 50th anniversary. Yeah, that, that's worth clapping about. They're, they're, they're the people that um, Kelly and I most model our marriage after. Um, there are some things we, you know, we let it slide, but mostly we appreciate everything they do. Um, they are, I can't imagine having a better example in my life. Um, in fact, I asked my dad once, what is it like to have the best son in the world? And he said, I don't know, go ask your grandpa. That never actually happened, but it probably did. And I also want to honor Kelly. Um, I'm not going to go into like several minutes of stuff because it only takes a second to say I love you and everyone around you loves you too. So thank you. We also just celebrated our 21st anniversary. We're on our way to 50. We'll get there soon. About 29 years. All right. So... Uh, a few months ago now at this point, I was talking to my daughter, Charlie. Um, does anyone know my daughter, Charlie? Yeah. If, you, if you've ever had coffee from Shepherds back there, there's at least a 50% chance that she made it for you. Um, so I was talking to her a while back, and um, she told me something that this 21st century prophetess, um, this prophecy that she had spoken out over people, and um, she asked if I had heard it, and I thought, well, I, I heard about it but I hadn't actually heard it. So I, I found it, I listened to it, um, and then I kind of forgot about it until I was preparing this message. And as I was working through this, this, it kept coming up, it kept coming back, it kept coming back, that this is something that's a prophecy that's real that I want to speak out over you guys. If you're already here for the first service, you've heard this. But whether you've heard it before or this is the first time this prophecy is for you, all right, I, now, now, I, I am, I said this before, I'll say it again, I'm outside my comfort zone right now, okay? There's plenty of things that I'm fine with. I love coming up here and getting to say hi and talk to you guys. Um, I love being able to pray with people and give my own words from God to them, my own prophecies, but um, copying someone else's and relaying that, that's, that's a little outside normal for me, so bear with me. Um, I don't know it by heart. I'm going to have to read it. Um, some of you may have heard it before. If you've heard it before, um, feel free to amen it as it comes. All right, so here we go. I'm going to read this and prophesy it over you this morning. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? <laughs> drifting through the wind, wanting to start again. Do you ever feel so paper thin, like a house of cards one blow from caving in? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone know who this prophet is? Yeah, you know who it is. Do you ever feel already buried deep, six feet under screams, but no one seems to hear a thing? Do you know that there's still a chance for you? Because there's a spark in you. What do you got to do? You got to ignite the light and let it shine. Own the night. Anyone? No one. Like the 4th of July. Okay, and this is the hardest part. I, don't, I had such a hard time saying this in the 9 a.m. service. This one line right here, it's like, good, 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 totally blocked. But this, is, this one line is, is the entire prophecy, and it's for you. All right. I am so outside my comfort zone. All right, 
Because baby, you're a firework. In case you don't know, that was written by the famous prophet Katy Perry, um, like in 2009 or 10, I don't know, um, a while back. And it's, it, but it's still true today. And she didn't write it as a prophecy, obviously, but every word that I said is what God wants to say over you guys today. So it was written for one thing, but take it for what it is. It's a prophecy for you and your life today. All right. Now I'm going to talk a little bit about what can happen once you know what you're worth, about the scale of your purpose, and what you can do with your gift. All right. I'm, I'm going to skip this part. All right, I'm just going to go right into it. I want to. Um, so the format of today is going to be I'm going to have three points. Each point I'm going to lead off with a joke. So I, I'm being very analytical here so that I can have a little room to be corny later on. So I'm going to lead off with a joke, and we're going to start with it right now. Go ahead and put it up. A pastor, a priest, and a rabbit walk into a bar. Go ahead. The rabbit says, hey, guys, I think I'm a typo. Now, most of you didn't laugh because you haven't gotten it yet. We're not looking for a rabbi. We're looking at a rabbit. The rabbit, the rabbit's not supposed to be something else. He is what he is. So have you ever felt like you're this rabbit, like you're a mistake, you're out of place, everyone's looking for a rabbi, but here you are just a rabbit? All right, so my first point is that knowing your value unlocks your identity. You know, I struggled while I was putting this message together. Um, I keep a notebook of all the things that... Um, that feel inspirational to me, whether it's something that someone said up here, whether it's a word that I feel God's shared with me, uh, something I read in the Bible, a song lyric, whatever it is, I keep this like running list of dozens and dozens of things um, that are things, sometimes they're, they're just for me to reflect on, and sometimes it's something that I might want to share with, with you guys someday, or someone else at prayer, or whatever the case is. So when Pastor Michael asked me to speak today, um, this was a few weeks ago. I started praying and I started going through that list because I believe that in a moment God can give me a message for the day and it could be full and complete download in an instant of everything I need to say. But I also believe that he expects me to do my homework and be prepared and show up and, and you know all these things that he expects me to do. So I'm looking through all these notes, all these thoughts, and I'm praying and I'm thinking, you know, some of these are okay, but none of them really feel like the word for today. You know, maybe someday this will be the right message to preach, but in this season, on May 22nd, 2022, on possibly our last Sunday in the building, possibly our second to last Sunday in the building, <laughs> but hopefully our last Sunday in the building, none of these feel like exactly the right word. So I prayed and I said, God, what is it that you want to say to these people today? And he answered me, which was encouraging, because that doesn't always happen right away. But he answered me, and he said, I want to say, I love you. I'm always saying, I love you. In fact, that's all I ever say. And sometimes I just say it in different ways. And I was sitting actually right there where Elena is sitting when, when he told me this um, like a week or two weeks ago. And, um, you know, I, I thought, wow, that's like... So beautiful that, that you're always saying you love us. You know, we, we know that the whole Bible points towards John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to save us. And that's amazing, and it's so emotional and so touching, and it's so completely unhelpful when I'm trying to figure out what to say to you guys today. 
I mean, yeah, Jesus loves you. That, that's what all the messages are. But <laughs> and he just said, he responded with, I am with you. Equally unhelpful, if we're being honest. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to do with this. You know, I, I start thinking, okay, so if this is what he's told me, this is what I'm going to study. This is what I'm going to search. This is what I'm going to read about. So I open up my Bible study tools, my Bible, some apps, some websites, and I start searching for what are some times where God told people, um, I'm with you, or I will be with you, or some very, the Lord will be with you, any, any of these kinds of things. I start searching, and you know, I find um, Mary. When she's um, pregnant with baby Jesus, the angel comes down and said, you know, the Lord will be with you, and you know, do not fear, and all these things. Um, he's, you know, he told that to um, Joshua, you know, fear not, I'm with you. To Moses, to Jacob, to Isaac, you know, to Jeremiah when he sent him out to be the prophet to the nations. It, it, it's this theme where I will be with you. And, you know, that, you know, if, on one hand, that's I will be with you, that's nice. But if you think about it, that also means I love you, which is what he's always saying. He already told me that. But it also means you're important. It means I care for you. It means I value you. It means I have interest in your life, in what you're doing. I care about you, your future. You know, I value you. And since he said it to all these people, and he said it to me, I feel like I guess I'm in good company because they wrote Bibles about these people. So I want to tell you, God is with you too. It's not just me. It's not just Mary and Joshua and Jacob and all these other people. God loves you. God is with you, and he wants to speak to you. That's a sidebar. Just write that down and remember that someday when you don't feel it. Remember that. Sorry, I'm trying to figure out where I left off here. So I want to take a look at this, this whole revelation that I am with you through the lens of Gideon today. And I, I love the story of Gideon because I feel like the story of Gideon, there's like three chapters in the book of Judges, six, seven, and eight, and you can preach any message you want on the story of Gideon. There are so many dimensions to that message. You can look at it this way, you can look at it this way, you can look at it this way, and whatever, however you look at it, God has a thousand messages in that one story for you. You know, probably other stories too, but that story, it, it doesn't seem like it on first reading, but there are so many things you can learn from that story. Today I'm going to talk about I Am With You. Um, did I put my title up there already? Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Because it would be really weird if I put it up there now. Um, all right. So we're going to start by reading Judges chapter 6, 11 through 17. And the, to do a little setting here, um, Midian is one of the enemies of the people of Israel, God's chosen people. Um, there's a sea of them. They're overtaking the land. They're, they're destroying the land with their multitudes of armies and horses and cattle and they're like the crops are crushed um their their livestock are taken um the enemy the children of israel are are scared um some of them run to the mountains and live in caves some of them flee the city and it's really kind of a, a lousy time to be um in the land of israel and you know this wasn't in my notes at all but you know maybe you feel like that's where this country is heading right now too take hope that's not the end of the story. That was free. So we're going to pick up in verse 11, and I'm going to read it from here because I can't see that very well. 
So it says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son, Joash's son, Gideon, threshed wheat in a winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. So he's found this, this wheat somewhere, I don't know where, and he's, um, he's threshing it, he's turning it into flour so that it can be used to make things. And he's doing it in hiding in a place where you usually make wine. And one time I gave this communion message about this um, where I found it really interesting that the place where you make wine and the pressing and that is the same place where he was beating this wheat into flour to make bread and how that represented the bread and the wine that we take at communion time. And um, you know, I can't read the story without thinking about it. That's one of those thousand things you can learn from this story. But it's not the story I'm here to tell you today. I just want to throw that out there so you'd remember it. So the angel of the Lord appeared to him, verse 12, and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So again, with the, with the I'm with you, I see you, you're important. I wouldn't be here with you if you weren't important to me, if I didn't value you. And he calls him a mighty man of valor, or a warrior, you're revealing his identity, which is something that, that Gideon didn't see before. It wasn't something that he believed about himself before. And you can tell by verse 13 where he says, I'm going to summarize because it's too long. Oh, oh my Lord, if he is with us, how did this happen to us? It feels like God has forsaken us. He's left us. We hear all these stories that I think might just be legends, maybe not even real at this point, about how he took us out of Egypt. But when I look at the current situation, I can't see how this is even possible. And that's verse 13. And Gideon is so hung up on his value and the value of his people and how the circumstances don't look like he's valued. That he can't hear God call him a mighty warrior. He's like, I, I can't even get to that part of what God said in verse 12 because I'm stuck on this first part where you said, I'm with you. You don't look like you're with me. It doesn't feel like you're with me. I don't feel valued. I don't understand how you can even suggest that I'm a mighty man of valor. But I love this part. In, in verse 14, God completely ignores Gideon. It's like Gideon never said anything in verse 13. I wonder if maybe verse 13 was supposed to say Gideon thought to himself. Because the way God responds is as if Gideon didn't say a word, completely ignores him and says, Go in this might of yours, and you will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Gideon's doubt of his own value has no effect on God's value of you and the identity that he's calling you a mighty man of valor. And I I love that. Nothing that Gideon said had any effect on what God was saying to him. So for the next few verses, Gideon really struggles with, with this. He's like, I, I, I don't believe you. I don't see how this can happen. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't want to call God a liar, but I don't really think this is true. Um, is this even God I'm talking to here? Is this some guy that I don't know? But finally, when verse 17 gets there, you get this little glimpse that Gideon is finally starting to say, okay, okay, maybe, maybe, Maybe this is true. I'm not sure you buy it yet, but maybe this is true. In the beginning of verse 17, you can see that glimpse when he says, okay, if I have found favor in your sight, 
And, and that's just the open door. He's not fully convinced yet, but that's the open door that God needs to get getting across the line to say, okay, now there's a crack. I can break off the shell. I can get into his heart, and I can show him that I love him and I value him. So if you're in the point where you aren't sure, just start with maybe, okay? I, I, I don't feel valued by God, but maybe he does. I don't understand how that would work, but if he did, what would it look like? If you don't feel it already, start with that. This is like a practical step. Start with that, and before you know it, you're going to be like saving the country from the Midianites. It's awesome. So he, he's not there yet. But this is the moment where he finally opens up to the idea that just maybe God does value him. And if he does value me, then maybe he's telling me the truth when he calls me a mighty man of valor or a woman of valor. In case you weren't sure, you know, ask your person next to you if you're male or female. They know the answer even if you don't. That's a different conversation on a different kind of identity. All right, so when you go through something hard, when you go through something amazing, when you go where God sends you and you're not sure, is it going to be hard or amazing or, or both? If you go through, find yourself in some place where you're not expecting to be, just remember, I will be with you. You are a mighty warrior. So, so back to that last joke. If you, if you didn't catch it before, I'm going to like speak to that rabbit now. And I'm going to say, rabbit, you're not a typo. You're right where you belong. You're part of this story. We're not waiting for a rabbi to walk into this bar because he's already here. For those that still don't get it, rabbit is a misspelling of the word rabbi. Okay. All right. Let's go on. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So we're going to move on. The, the next joke I want to throw up there. Remember, this is supposed to be fun, so like, laugh even if you don't mean it, okay? <laughs> All right. If you ever feel like your life is without purpose, just remember there's a guy at the BMW factory who installs turn signals. <laughs> now, I don't have a BMW. Um, Pastor Michael drives one. Um, he might be able to explain that. The internet really thought it was funny. Um, I'm not sure you know, what, what you think about it. I Maybe mean, it's okay. But anyway, the, the, the guy who... <laughs> Who, they don't use Yeah, right, exactly. They don't use them. That, that, well, that's the joke anyway. So as we read through Gideon's story over the next few chapters, we, we learn that while part, part of his calling was to deliver the people of Israel from the Midianites right then and right there, that he was ultimately being called to something bigger than that. That's where the door opened. That's the first step he took through it. But there was more to come. So point number two is that your purpose is bigger than this battle. You know, the, the chapter six version of Gideon, he could only see the swarms of Midianites that were there, that were trying to destroy him, that were, you know, crushing their country, crushing his brothers. But he didn't realize at the time that when he gets to chapter seven, that the chapter seven version of himself would command over 30,000 soldiers. You know, just like the next page over. He didn't get at the time that he would take 300 of those 30,000 and he would groom them to be disciples. Right. And that he would ultimately be the ruler over the land that would bring 40 years of peace 
So it wasn't this one battle. It was, a, it was a whole generation, 40 years of peace and discipleship and prosperity that was his purpose. And all he could see at the moment was this battle. But there was more for him. But, but by chapter 7, um, he's starting to know and understand God more. A lot happens in, those, in that page. He, he's talking to God more. He, he's not fully there yet because he's, he, you know, he still asks God, okay, if it's really you, can you do this magic thing with this fleece in the water and make it dry and then make it wet? And, and if it's really you, can you do this and can you answer this? And I'm not sure, but I'm not sure, but I'm still going. So he, he, he's growing. He's getting there. He's starting to see that God values him. He's understanding that God does believe, and he's starting to believe, that he is a warrior, even though he doesn't know how to do it yet. But he wants to share his progress with the men around him. And I mentioned he, he like selected... Sorry. He selected 300 of these soldiers to be his men. And um, those are the ones that God selected and said, these are the ones you're taking, send the other ones home. These are the ones for you to pour into because they're going to be the ones that bring about your victory. And when we get to Judges 7.17, we can see Gideon, without even knowing it, start to build disciples out of these people with the simple message, only the first part of the verse, he said to them, look at me and do likewise. And, you know, there's, there's more to it, but look at me and do likewise. If I want to bring people along, if I want to uh, build people up, and I, if I feel like God's talking to me and he's sending me to bring people along with me, whether or not I say these words, my, my intention is look at me and do what I'm doing. Not because I'm special, but because this is what God's told me. And he wants more for you than he has for me. So look at me and do likewise. So it's, it's kind of telling that, you know, even though he originally had 30,000 soldiers um, and God sent, you know, most of them away, by the time the story is over, he only has 300. But those are his disciples. Those are the people that are his purpose. Those are the people that are going to bring about victory today and lead, you know, help lead him through victory in the future. But... Out of those 30,000, 99% of them disappeared. You know, you'll find that when God gives you your purpose, there's going to be 1% of the people that stand with you and say, I agree with that. I declare that over your life. I support you. I come alongside you. Whatever I can do, I am with you because I believe that God has given you this purpose. But there's going to be 99% of the people that are going to walk away. And whether they're scared of your purpose, they believe it, but they're scared, or maybe they don't believe it at all. They're going to walk away. But the even more telling part of it is that at the end of the story, those 99% of the people benefited from Gideon's purpose. It wasn't just the 1% that were freed from the Midianites. Gideon, stepping into his purpose, freed himself, freed that 1%, the other 99% of the army and brought freedom to the entire country. So however many hundreds of thousands of people that were because Gideon and his 1% stepped out. So maybe like Gideon, you've started to believe that maybe I have a purpose, but I don't see how me and my little purpose can really have an effect. You know, my purpose is to hold babies in the back room. And yeah, raise your hand. That's awesome. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, your purpose is to hold babies, and part of that is you know, 
their parents get to receive, but part of it is you're putting values in them that they wouldn't get somewhere else. And you're not just holding a baby, you're holding babies every week. And there's more, and there's more, and, you're, and there's more. Your purpose isn't about you. Your purpose is about what you're pouring out into other people. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe you feel like the BMW worker who's going to use this turn signal. Pastor Michael will. He may be the only one, but he will do it. Whatever your purpose looks like to you today, though, whether it seems small and insignificant, or you feel like you, you, you know, you're, you're good, you feel like, I'm doing something, and it's not my own might. I'm doing what God wants me to do, and he's empowering me, and I, I'm doing it all the right ways. It's not prideful, all these things, and this is my purpose. Even that, your purpose is bigger than that. You just don't know it yet. All right, so coming to my third point. I already hear Jared back here, so that's good. Um, so the last joke I want to throw up there is this. My wife said, for my birthday, nothing would make me happier than a diamond necklace. So I bought her nothing. All right. Um, I actually did buy my wife something for her birthday. It was a big party and a house. So I think... All right, so let's hop back to chapter 6 for a minute. And that first meeting that, that Gideon had with God under the, the tree where they're talking about, you know, I value you and you're a man of war. Um, you know, Gideon is finally starting to get it. We get to verse 18. And Gideon says to God, all right, all right, all right. I'm not sure I'm completely sold yet, but I think I'm in on this. Hang on a minute. I'm going to go get something, and I'm going to give you an offering. So God says, sure, I'll wait here until you come back. This is, you know, the Scott Isaacs translation. So now back to the, the scripture version. So verse 19. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour put the meat in a basket, put the broth in a pot, and brought them out under the tree and presented them to the Lord. And then the angel said to him, take all the stuff, put it on the rock. Gideon did it. And then the angel put out his staff, and he touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire came out of the rock and consumed the meat and the bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So Gideon puts this offering out there as a sacrifice. It's, it's a gift to the Lord. And the angel touches it, it explodes, and the angel disappears. It, it's like a miraculous... I can't even imagine what that looks like. I see these words, and I try to picture it, and I'm sure that the picture in my mind doesn't match what actually happened there. So pause on that for a second. The, the Midianites had been destroying everything for, for seven years now, the Bible says, but somehow Gideon still had an ephah, a flower. And um, I didn't know what an ephah was, so I looked it up on Google. An ephah of flour um, works out to be somewhere around 25 pounds of flour. So it's not a little bit. Um, I don't. It's maybe not enough to feed yourself for years, but it's not a little bit. It's, you know, that's a lot of flour. You know, five giant bags of flour from the grocery store or six or however many, I don't know. Um, it's a lot of flour. But when I studied this, I could only come to the one conclusion that, you know, as I read through like seven or eight different translations of the Bible, Bible study tools, all those things, um, it doesn't say that 
Gideon took a scoop of flour out of this 25 pounds of flour. It's, it says he took 25 pounds of flour and made cakes for the Lord with it. You know, if, if Gideon was to use alionascooking.com for his Jewish recipes like I do, he would see that that would be somewhere around 600 to 1,000 little matzo cakes. That, that, you know, that's a lot. You know, and I start to wonder, why is he offering that much, you know, to this guy? So my third and final point is, your gift is the enemy's nightmare. So I'm not necessarily talking about the gift that God's given you, whatever that might be. Uh, the enemy doesn't care if you can sing pretty or preach good or write well or if you can um, pray for people and they're healed. Um, it doesn't, he doesn't care if you can prophesy over people and speak words of wisdom or you know, see the future or any of these things. The enemy doesn't care about that. He's not scared by that. But right before the battle began, Gideon that night, it was around midnight, the Bible says, he snuck into their camp doing the little spy thing that spies do. And he overheard two of the, um, the guards talking to each other. And one of them says to the other, um, this is um, Judges 7.13. I'll paraphrase while it's on the screen. He says, hey, I had a dream last night that this barley bread rolled down into our camp and crushed us. So the enemy isn't scared, to tie it back to what I was talking about a minute ago, the enemy isn't scared of the gifts that God has given you. He's scared when you take those gifts that God has given you and give them back to God. He, 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 has, he has nightmares. It's in, it's in the scripture. He has nightmares when you give those gifts back to God. And when you think about gifts, you know, think about it from a parent's perspective. I know, Stan, that, that you're, you're a dad and you're a husband and you've got like 19 kids. <laughs> and at Christmas time or birthday time, you probably give your son a gift to give to Elena. The gift isn't for him. He says, no, I don't believe him. The gift isn't for him. The gift is meant to be given back. And that's what our gifts are that God gives us. God gives you the gift to sing. He doesn't want you only to sing for your own enjoyment. He wants you to enjoy your gifts, sure. But he wants you to sing for him. He gives you the gift of preaching. He doesn't want you just to preach for the applause and the, you know, the platitudes. He wants you to preach to bring people to him. He wants you to take the gifts that he gives you of prophecy, of healing, of whatever they are, and bring them to him. So the gift that you have terrifies the enemy when you bring that gift back to the one that gave it to you. And the very thing that Gideon brought as a gift in chapter 6, the loaves of bread, was the thing that prophesied their victory over the enemy in chapter 7. Just one chapter later. And I was going to end with that, but this morning at like 5-something, um, God revealed one more thing to me, that, that there's one difference between the chapter 6 bread and the chapter 7 bread. And Gideon made cakes of wheat in chapter 6 and offered that to the Lord. Uh, wheat flour. But in chapter 7, the vision was of a barley loaf coming down and crushing the enemy. And until this morning, 
I didn't really know that barley wasn't the same thing as wheat. You know, maybe you did. You're a lot smarter than me. But I looked it up on Google, and they're different things. You know, how about that? And um, barley is probably in harvest right about now. It's harvested in springtime. Speaking of harvest, we're about to go into a new building. So who's looking forward to that? I'm going I'm to call that a barley harvest. But wheat is harvested in fall or early winter. And there's a time for harvesting each. But at this point, we know that it was springtime in this story because the Bible says that springtime was the time of year when kings go out to war. Midian was surrounding them, preparing for war because it was springtime. They knew that the weather would last, that they, they would be able to um, endure because they wouldn't have to be fighting against an enemy and the weather. It's springtime because we can go out with this campaign and we can defeat our enemy. And Midian was taking advantage of that. It's springtime in the story. It's time for the barley to be harvested in the story. But all Gideon had was wheat flour. There was no barley available to him. It hadn't been harvested yet, or if it had, it had been taken by the Midianites, or it had been trampled. Um, He didn't have any barley. But he had wheat, and he had a lot of it. So he brought all of the wheat that he had, this wheat flour, to the king and says, hey, you know, I don't understand this. I'm not entirely sure I believe you, but what have I got to lose? I'm in. I'm bringing you all of this wheat that I have. I don't have anything else. This is kind of old. I've had it for six months. It's a little stale. It's a little crusty. It's probably not going to be the best bread, but it's all that I have. But the next chapter over, chapter seven, God takes that. When he set it on fire and disappeared, I believe he took that up into heaven, did some magic, turned it into barley and sent it down to crush the Midianites because the barley was in season. The barley was current. The barley was timely. The barley was what they needed right then. And that's what crushed the enemy. So even if you have a gift that you feel is not good enough to bring to the king, bring it because he will take the gift that you bring and he will give you something that is current that is timely, that is for today. The enemy has nightmares because he knows that God can turn any gift you give him, no matter how fresh it is, into something that can crush him. So um, I'm going to close now. And and Pastor Michael, I'm going to ask you if you could come up in just a second. Um, But I wanted to ask this one question. What is the culture telling you about your value and your identity, and your purpose, and your gift. You know, whatever culture says, it's as helpful as these bad jokes I've been telling you all morning. (laughs) The world would have you believe that you as a human had no value until someone decided that they want to see what happens with this clump of cells. That they had a choice to give you value or not give you value. And Thank God that everyone in this room, you know, their, their mothers made the choice that those clump of cells was worth meeting someday. Uh, the, the world would tell you that, that your primary purpose, now that you've finally been born, is just do whatever makes you happy. You know, you, you made it past the first gate, you're free to do whatever you want now. Just, uh, just live it up, do something that makes you happy. Try not to be real mean. And then that's your purpose. They would say that your gift, your gift is stale. 
Your gift is old, it's out of date, it's not fresh anymore, but it's all that you have. You don't get anymore. So keep this stale gift for yourself. But all joking aside, that's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy. God values you. God declares that your identity is a warrior. You are a mighty man or woman of God. He says that you have purpose, but your purpose is not just the battle you're facing today. Your purpose is the people that you're going to bring alongside you to overcome their battles in the future. And he says that your gift to him is what's going to bring terror to the enemy. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.